Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, I'm Ed Clementi, your host, and today we're fortunate to have Jill Ferrari. She's a managing partner at Renovare, a development company, and why don't you explain what that is, and welcome to the show, Jill, both. Thanks for having me, Ed. It's great to be here and spend time with you again. It's been a while since we've been able to work together, so I'm excited to be here. Renovare Development is a woman-owned commercial real estate development company that focuses on transformational projects that serve a deep community need. We work on single family for sale development to commercial development and mixed use. Um, We are predominantly looking in the areas of the state where other developers don't have the patience to complete projects. And we work very closely with community partners on designing the project to really focus on those specific community needs that um, that are the most important for the, that community. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you said this in the beginning, but what um, you say woman owned, is there, I, I mean, I don't know, but is it predominantly like usually a male industry? I didn't even know. Uh, I've, a lot of developers I have worked with have been, I think, maybe more males. I didn't notice too much, but uh, is that something you run into? Like, are you unique in this series? We absolutely are. Uh, we don't find too many majority woman-owned companies at our level. Uh, we are focused on projects between five and 25 million, roughly. I think there are a lot of emerging female developers who are getting started, who've do, done projects around the state um, that are focused on smaller projects. And uh, we hope to, you know, kind of create a path for them and show them how they can use state tools and resources and develop partnerships to do larger projects. But we do often find ourselves alone in these spaces, Ed, especially on a national level. There just really aren't that many women commercial real estate developers out there. Um, so we'd love to, to encourage more women to join this space. Well, before we get into exactly some of your projects, why don't we mention your path? Because, I mean, I met you back when you were uh, director, I think it was community development for Wayne County or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, you were in the commercial industry first. Why why don't you kind of say this, but walk us even from where you went to. Where'd you grow up first? What city are you from originally? I grew up in northern Oakland County. Um, I was the child of a, um, uh, an assembly line worker for Ford Motor Company and a secretary. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad died when I was nine, leaving a a single mom with not a huge salary. And, and my brother and I became very hardworking. We definitely learned our work ethic from our single mom. Um, my brother's now a doctor, um, And, uh, you know, my dad's death really led me into a career in environmental health. Um, He died of respiratory cancer. And um, it was from days in Vietnam, actually. And um, yeah, um, Camp Lejeune. And uh, we, you know, I just grew up wanting to solve 
some of those problems for communities and, and really started looking at brownfield redevelopment as a career. So I started out as a, a real estate consultant in 1995 and uh, went to law school at night and really focused on finding sites, contaminated sites that would make good community assets um, until the crash. On uh, you know the first crash, yeah, in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yes, <laughs> and um, it it actually presented an opportunity for me to shift to a career that was more community centric. I had been doing a lot of market rate real estate on brownfield sites, but not a lot of community development work on infill sites. And so um, that's when I went to the county to uh, work under their land bank which was a whole new opportunity to use tools to get these community development sites done and learned a great deal, led the community development efforts there, a lot of the federal funding that came down. And I met my Renabari development partner, Shannon Morgan, while I was there. Um, came back to commercial real estate in 2017, convinced Shannon to come with me. And uh, we worked together for another company for a while, but just realized that we had such similar passion and vision for doing projects in areas around the state, not just in Southeast Michigan, and doing different types of projects um, and really being able to put pieces into our project that reflect who we are as women. Uh, we're mothers, we're daughters, uh, we have siblings that are disabled. And, and so we think about all these people in our life when we're planning real estate development projects and, and we wanted to make projects that really served those underserved populations. And so that's how Renabare became um, our, our mission. And uh, so are you an attorney as well? I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, OK. So you're an attorney. So where did you go to did you go to law school in, in Detroit or where did you go? I did. I went to Wayne State Law. Highly suggest it to anybody who is a working professional because they offer a combined program that is unique and um, really very grateful for that opportunity to keep my job as a real estate consultant and, and go to law school uh, at night as well. And I, I actually finished in three and a half years. So um, I don't think I could have done that anywhere else. Well, let me ask a weird question then. <laughs> uh, sure. But like, because they have such a strong urban development program there, it, is there any cross-pollination? Like, were you able to take other classes that helped what you wanted to do too? Like, a, I don't think you get electives in law school, but, you know, I know they have a strong urban program there. You know what? Um, when I was there so long ago, um, I really focused on the law school classes because of the opportunities that the combined program provided. So I didn't didn't take any crossover classes with the Masters of Urban Planning kids, you know, that kind of stuff, really stick to the law school classes. And I was working full time as a real estate consultant at the same time. So I had a lot of my education in the day um, when it came to, you know, urban infill and redevelopment projects. So um, I didn't get to take Masters of Urban Planning classes or anything like that, which I, I would also recommend to other students going through this process. Well, you know, and and honestly, you're you're speaking my religion. I you know, growing up downriver, you know, brownfields have always been a huge passion, somewhat for me too, because you know it's so important to you know figure out how to deal with land that's already been sort of 
sort of tarnished and how to reestablish it to, because usually that's where people live and that's where the infrastructure is. And it actually is cheaper in some ways, you know, to go in the brownfield sometimes. I haven't experienced that yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that is what attracted us to our project in Ypsilanti, which is four acres right in the middle of the city, um, walking distance to downtown, walking distance to depot town. And, um, you know, the site has some felt that was, um, you know, uh, left on the site from a prior demolition, but it is optimal for housing because of its walkability and location. And, you know, it's really hard for communities that are trying to promote transit and walkability. Uh, It's hard to do that without really targeting brownfield sites. So I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. I guess maybe I should have said in a, from a 10,000 foot view, it's cheaper for the community, maybe not for the developers (laughs) always because it's, you know, it's just the idea of like, when you go to Greenfield, you have to put new water lines in or electrical lines, sewer lines, you know, Oh, absolutely. and just being able to tap into something that's maybe only 10 feet away versus like, you know, a hundred feet away, you know, the costs, you know, and infrastructure for cement, even just, you know, to put in egresses, you know, and all that. Yeah. And the, and the tools for that too, you know, there's, we've really been very progressive in the state of Michigan passing tools for brownfield redevelopment. And there, I just don't see as many tools for, you know, infrastructure expansion for greenfield sites. Um, and then you have transit issues and walkability and all these other issues on greenfield sites. So um, I think, you know, over time, we'll just continue to see more and more tools for brownfield redevelopment and, um, it just, it has to be a priority, which, uh, you know, we're definitely seeing across the state, which is great. I, and I know Michigan, uh, not too long ago hosted the national Brownfield convention, right? In Detroit. We did. And I believe the last time it was here was 2008. So for all the professionals to celebrate the difference in Detroit across that time span and, invite all of these other professionals from across the country here was was really special. Um, my partner, Shannon Morgan, was the keynote speaker at the Brownfield Breakfast um, that the PA and the Center for Creative Land Recycling held. Um, so yeah, it was really special for a lot of the folks in our industry to host that and and you know just show off a little bit about how Detroit has evolved and, and kind of the, the new developments that have taken place. So it was really it was really nice. You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. You have projects around the state. Why don't you highlight a few other ones? We do. We have projects in Harper Woods, Benton Harbor, Ypsilanti, and in Munising, uh, we have two projects in Munising, and then we have a housing project in Marquette Township. Um, and it, it seems a little bit random, but you know, our business model is that we are brought to a community by a partner, whether that's the municipality, an employer, or a nonprofit. A an active community member brings us to that community with a specific community need in mind, whether it is low income housing, middle income housing, or a certain population that needs to be served. 
And we were brought to Munising by the mayor, uh, the then mayor of Munising, um, to address the housing shortage that they had in town. And there, I think every community will tell you that they have housing needs at every level, low income, middle income, even, even market rate. Um, and he brought us specifically to address uh, low income and missing middle housing issues in that town. And a few years later, it's been a few years, you know, these deals are very complicated and have, you know, multi multiple layers in the capital stack. Um, we have all uh, of our entitlements complete for two projects in downtown Munising. One is a fire hall uh, built in the 1940s. It's Art Deco design, beautiful structure. And we are converting that to a um, restaurant, brewery, um, event space with micro stalls for local uh, food operators and a tap wall, which I am really excited about. So we have uh, brewers from across the state that will have taps on the wall in this facility um, with beautiful outdoor space that faces the Pictured Rocks boat cruise dock. Um, so it's an excellent location and it's the city's number one development priority. And it is a brownfield. It is a former leaking underground store, uh, storage tank site. And uh, um, just really happy to, to bring this asset back to life. And two blocks over is Munising Marketplace. That is a three-story new construction project with 39 units of missing middle housing. So targeted at folks between 60 and 120% of the area median income in Alter County. And then ground floor space with a grocer, uh, child care center, and a workforce center that will be occupied by Michigan Works. Um, these two projects are both included in a scattered site transformational brownfield plan, which will, if we're lucky and we get to the finish line first, we will be the first rural scattered site transformational brownfield plan in Michigan under uh, under the under the state legislation. So really excited to highlight these two projects because they are going to be the jewels of that area of the Upper Peninsula and the community support support is extraordinary for these. Yeah, and I, I should also mention too that in some of your information uh, that I. Looked at, you also work a lot, and I know Michelle Wildman, who you work with, I'm sure, spoke highly of you as well, but you work with, can you give people a quick definition of the opportunity zones too? Because I think you try to coordinate that, right, with state. We do. We focus in opportunity zones in order to leverage the tool of opportunity zone investment. Um, we really, when we launched the company, thought that this would be one of the primary sources of funding that we're utilizing in projects. Um, it hasn't turned out to be that way. We we are um, about to launch an opportunity zone equity raise, but um, our tools really have come from the state um, through MEDC, uh, Brownfield Tax Increment Financing, ARPA funds through um, local units of government that's been passed down through the state. And so, you know, when we first when we first started out, we really thought this was going to be the biggest tool in our toolbox. It's still a tool. It's still um, a good um, way to map out projects because communities have identified opportunity zones as some of their you know primary areas that they want to target for redevelopment. Um, it just hasn't been the it hasn't really played the role that we thought it would, but still very beneficial. 
Yeah, and and I know that that was uh, the state is I think broke into ten opportunity zones. Maybe I might have the number wrong, but uh, I know they're they're around the state. So uh, I just just something I know we've had with other guests who have brought that up before. I, I want to one other thing I want to mention before we get to the last few questions here. Can you quickly tell people because I know you've been very involved with them with the Urban Land Institute. Uh, we should get them on the show eventually, but could you give sort of a brief synopsis what the Urban Land Institute is too? I have been a passionate member of the Urban Land Institute since 1997. I have worked with the local Michigan District Council since then, been a part of that community, and it has meant absolutely everything to my career, Ed. Um, the founding members, Bobby Taubman, Bobby Showstack, Mark Lopayton, um, and the rest have really fostered a, a community um, within the real estate community that is really focused on the sustainable use of land. Eric Larson, David Nelson. I mean, there's just a number of, of men that have that launched this group a long time ago, and it has transformed into a broad, inclusive group of real estate professionals that is deeply committed to, committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the industry, and really fostering thought leadership on the sustainable use of land. Um, right now, I am the chair of mission advancement for the Michigan District Council. Um, I helped found the Women Leadership Initiative for the group. I actually founded the Young Leadership Initiative way back when, when I, was <laughs> eligible, when I was eligible for that. It was a long time ago. But, you know, some of my most meaningful relationships in commercial real estate have been built through this organization. And I, I could not be prouder of what we've accomplished and the membership that we hold, um, the advisory board. Uh, we just went through a strategic planning process to kind of you know, move us into the next three years. My my partner, my co-chair, Dan Cassidy, and I uh, worked really hard with staff um, to develop that strategic plan and, and just could not be prouder. You really should have Shannon Slafani, who is the executive director of ULI Michigan on board. She is absolutely a thought leader in this area. And I think she would, I think you guys would have a great conversation. Well, that's a deal, and I'll follow up with you on that. And uh, let's talk a little bit more. I mean, is there just a couple of quick questions here? But for your industry, because it is sort of more complicated, like the people don't, as you've been explaining, but what do you see for future trends for your industry? You mentioned one already about Brownfield. You're seeing more people going that way, and maybe maybe there's more you want to elaborate on that. So I think what we're seeing in, at the state level with the legislation is tools that are constantly come coming out to bridge the gap between the cost of construction and um, development costs uh, and, and sales, you know, uh, those gaps. And I, I really think we're going to see more and more tools come out that the state uh, leadership legislature really understands the difficulty in providing housing. And I, I think they're hearing from uh, the employers in the state that the lack of housing is a key impediment to growth internally. And uh, I know there was a recent meeting with over 100 CEOs in the Upper Peninsula, and they came together to agree that housing was their number one priority. So I think you're going to see um, even more tools 
Um, in this space, I think we're going to see more tools pointed toward home ownership, which has become a very difficult space um, to be successful in, uh, primarily in underserved areas like Detroit, Benton Harbor, and some other uh, underserved communities. So I think you're going to see some trends toward that. Um, on the sustainability front, I think you're going to see more tools in this space as the um, Inflation Reduction Act comes down because um, it's really hard to focus on sustainability when you're trying to create attainable housing and keep costs down. So we're going to see more tools, more efforts driven toward, okay, you know, here's how you create attainable housing that that is affordable to uh, Michigan's workforce but it also has all of these um, sustainable components built in. So I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, no, no, those are excellent points. And as a former legislator, I think that's the first time I actually met you when I was in the legislature. Maybe maybe before, I can't remember. But uh, I, I just know that, uh, you know, it just shows all the interesting things and lessons you've had to learn, too, about where you think we need to go to. And it's and the one thing about economic development, too, it's it's always changing. It's it's never the same set of tools constantly as people think it is, you know. So it's a challenge in that area. Um, it, it, well, it's, it's actually a really big challenge for communities because all of these, uh, actually, we met because you were working on legislation to create a tool to foster livable, walkable spaces in, in communities. And so, um, and I applauded that. I'm a big champion of tools, but there is a, a an education curve where communities have to under have to figure out how these tools work, what their role is in all these tax capture tools and tax abatement tools. You know, uh, what is the what's the level of effort that it takes on their part in order to support projects moving forward? So, I think that's part of the the focus that we all need to to look at is you know how do we help communities understand all these tools coming down and get them ready for the right developments. Um, that will serve their needs. Yeah, well, when I my district, and uh, I won't mention where I had, but it was downriver mainly, but I had a lot of challenged communities, tons of brownfields. So for me, it was pretty important for my communities back then. And that's why I was very active with it, uh, you know, just to make sure that, you know, for those issues, like oh, they have all the other infrastructure, but, you know, they need to also develop a place that people want to live and work and play, right? So, um Okay, your last two questions. One is, um, what advice would you give your 17-year-old self today to go into as a career? Well, the first advice I would give myself as a 17-year-old is not to dye my hair blonde. Um, <laughs> I, aside from that, because <laughs> I was, you know, I had this beautiful red head of hair, uh, and now I'm blonde for life. Um, but all joking aside, I, you know, I. I would tell myself to trust my instincts. Um, I was put on this earth to be the parent to my adopted child. Like that is my most important role on this planet. And so, you know, when people ask you, what would you change? What would you go back and do differently? You know, my answer is absolutely nothing because if it would have risked me not adopting my child, it, it you know, um, it doesn't make any sense for me. Um, so I wouldn't change anything, but I would tell myself to trust my instincts, to take those risks, to uh, start those companies and be an entrepreneur and and trust that, you know, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. It's OK. Learn everything that you can. 
from those failures, but know that you were meant to do the work that others did not want to do or, or weren't in a position to do and just keep moving forward. Yeah. And, and that's always easier to do in hindsight, as we both know. <laughs> um, the uh, last question is an easy one, but uh, like, what's one of your favorite things to do in the state? Like you like to go to a festival or. Oh, then it's tough. You uh, only get one choice. Sorry. One choice. I would say, um, I mean, the Renaissance Festival is oh. something that my daughter and I are, are, you know, it's just a very big place in our hearts and, you know, getting dressed up. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't even know people did that. Friends of mine just went and they said everybody dresses like in costumes almost. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh oh, there's so many answers to that, but we just did that the other day or the other week and, you know, it it was it's just uh it's a great way to spend time with your family. All right. Well, anyway, uh, sorry it ended, but I want to thank again Jill Ferrari. She's the managing partner at Ranovare. And she's a development and also friend for quite a while. But thanks, Jill, for taking time. You did a great job. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me. It was great to see you. Make sure you join us next week where our guest is going to be Lauren Snyder. She's the Vice President of Customer Experience for Consumers Energy. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.